Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org, where you will find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. The opinions expressed on the Light a Candle Podcast are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Kim C. Hi, everyone. I am Kim, and I am a compulsive overeater and a grateful member of Overeaters Anonymous. And I wasn't grateful when I got here. I was very, very sad about it. (laughs) uh, Thank you to my friend Andrea for giving me the opportunity to come tonight and share my experience, strength, and hope. Happy birthday, Leslie, and thank you for continuing to shine your light in this program. I'm not even sure if I met you at this meeting or at the birthday party when you spoke on a panel, but thank you. And welcome to all the newcomers. Stepping in this door gave me more freedom than I ever could have imagined. And um, my first thought when Andrea asked me to speak at this meeting was, well, I'm not quite thin enough to speak at Light a Candle. That's a big speaker meeting. And my second thought was, girl, you're still crazy. Why don't you get yourself to that meeting? You know, because the last thing I would want to do is show up and and share my body obsession and perfectionism. Eleven years in, apparently it's still up there rattling around somewhere. So my my abstinence date is um, November 13th of 2010. So I'm grateful that I just celebrated 11 years of abstinence from compulsive overeating. And... Why not get abstinent during the holiday? Like, I needed to take every compulsive bite, every binge, every insane action before I was willing to surrender the food. And why not right before the holidays? And driving over here, I I was thinking about Thanksgiving. And I I just got really grateful. Twelve Thanksgivings without having to eat whole pies when no one's looking. You know, 11 Halloweens without having to go to CVS the day after to buy everything 50% off, which was the most expensive candy I ever bought because I binged on it by the pound. And, you know, I'm a hardcore compulsive overeater. Food was my first addiction, and food was the last thing I was willing to take a look at. I ate alcoholically. I drank alcoholically, I did drugs alcoholically, I smoked alcoholically, I shopped alcoholically, I had sex alcoholically, and it all started with food addiction, and I was 45 years old when I walked through the doors of Overeaters Anonymous, and I had yo-yo dieted up and down 40, 50, 70, 80 pounds over and over again, and I had the ism you know, from, from childhood, like, I know that my brain is wired differently when it comes to certain foods and food behaviors. My mom said that I would eat until she physically took a bottle out of my mouth when I was a baby. I have no off switch with food. And I grew up with a dad who was emotionally abusive. I, it took me 54 years to call it emotional abuse. But I tiptoed around trying not to piss anybody off or do anything wrong or say the wrong thing. And food was my comfort. And they call it comfort food because it works. It's comforting. It's good. The side effects, not so comforting. But um, 
you know, food, food was my first addiction, and it, it worked really well. And I didn't even realize that I was a sugar addict until I got to OA. I was like, oh, that's why I can't have just one whatever. Any, so my abstinence is no, no recreational sugar. Sweets, anything that looks like dessert is none of my business. Chips and crackers. Anything salty, crunchy, greasy, cheesy in a ba- bag or a box that I eat in a blackout and can't figure out where it went, <clears throat> bless you. None of that either. And, um, I mean, the fact that I haven't had sweets or junk food for 11 years, me, is, is really miraculous. And I think growing up, I don't remember kids being mean when I was a kid. I mean, I always had a little belly, like a little round belly. But I don't remember anyone making fun of me. I just remember getting to that age, like junior high, when I started noticing boys and noticing that boys were noticing other girls, um, that that I, I started wanting to lose weight. And I had paralyzing social anxiety and panic disorder as a kid. And I just look back now and think, no kid should have a panic attack, you know, at five years old in kindergarten. Or... You know, every time someone asked them a question until they got help for it. You know, they didn't diagnose those kind of things back then, but food is what soothed me. And I started dieting in junior high, and I am the best dieter you will ever meet. I've lost, I've been at goal weight six times on Weight Watchers. I've done the cabbage soup diet, the body for life diet where I got in like bodybuilder shape. I was taking herbal speed and every potion. I was I was taking a workout supplement with natural ephedra and caffeine and taking blood pressure medication while I was obese and thinking, oh, well, it's fine. They balance each other out. And I just think I am so grateful that I didn't have a heart attack and kill myself with my, with my um, science experiments. But... Um, you know, I my yo-yo dieting started as a pendulum, you know, little swings, 20 or 30 pounds. And by the time I got here, they were 80 or 90 pounds. And when my weight gain really took off was in college. In college, I was on a very strict beer and pizza diet. And apparently carb loading, <laughs> carb loading can put on the pounds. But I was also... You know, I took um, a weightlifting class in college, and so I would, when I got here, I felt sorry for my friends who had eating disorders, my bulimic friends who threw up, and my anorexic friends who starved themselves, and I had no idea until I got to OA that I, I am both of those things too, just manifesting in a different way, like exercise bulimia, I would eat you know, half a grocery store and then do kick, two kickboxing classes in a row and get on a treadmill for three hours. Apparently, five hours of cardio to make up for what you ate is exercise bulimia. You know, who knew until I got here? And the anorexic, like, I, I had to starve myself to make up for what I ate earlier, too. 
That part I wasn't very good at. I'm I'm mean when I'm hungry, so if you ever see me and I have that look in my eyes and my hands are a little shaky from low blood sugar, like just throw a little piece of protein at me and back away and you'll be safe again. Um, and 11 years abstinent, I'm still terrified of being hungry. Like there's some switch in my brain that if I get a little too hungry, I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to die. And I have a friend that's not a compulsive overeater, and he's always like, Kim, you're not going to die. Like, it's, it would take you literally weeks or maybe even months to die of starvation. I'm like, yeah, but it's going to take me about 30 more minutes to get homicidal. So let's get to dinner. And knowing my triggers is part of my recovery, like not getting too hungry. It failed to plan plan to fail. And I did that the other day. I, I went to um, San Diego for an event and I was working and I grabbed a snack and ran out the door and then was working and, you know, grabbed a banana and got in the car and I got to the place where the event was and they don't serve food. And I was like, uh oh, <laughs> like, so I'm still in trouble if I don't plan. But I, the, the self-hatred and the emotional abuse component of being a compulsive overeater, I think, was the most painful part because not, not everyone in the entire world who looked at me knew that I had problems with alcohol or drugs or cigarettes or money or sex, but everyone in the world who looked at me knew I had a problem with food. I, I was the evidence of the crime scene when I couldn't stop eating. And there's some extra component of guilt and shame with this addiction that I've really had to work on over and over again in my recovery. And um, and I, I just have to be vigilant. I have to be connected to God, and I connect to God through connecting with you. So I'm with Leslie. I am so grateful for live meetings again. It was miraculous on Zoom. I met people from all over the country and all over the world who had heard me, my recording from like five years ago at Light a Candle. Like this meeting is a ripple of recovery that just spreads throughout the world. And that, that is miraculous. Like right now, tonight, we are all helping people all over the world get abstinent. That rocks, you guys. That is so amazing. And, um, I'm, you know, Zoom saved me during the lockdown, and I am so grateful for that. But actually locking eyeballs with all of you, even masked up, opens up my heart and my channel to my higher power in a way that I can't even describe. And so I, um, I, got, I got here a little over 11 years ago, and... Uh, you know, a month prior, I had celebrated 10 years of recovery in another program. And they had a surprise party for me, and they flew my mom in from Kansas City. And there were like 100 people there that adore me. And I, I was drinking sugary soda. I was eating all the snacky snacks. And I, I was like, would everyone stop hugging me and cut the cake? What's wrong with you, people? Like, and I was like, oh my God, like that, that light bulb went on that I am still a junkie. Like I have 10 years of recovery and I'm still a junkie with my number one substance. 
my, my first love and the last one with claw marks I was willing to take a look at. And, um, and it took me a month to get to my first meeting of Overeaters Anonymous because I, I didn't, I used to say that out loud, like, I've given up everything else. I'm not giving up cupcakes. Like, I thought that was cute and funny. And you know what? I don't know who they were that I thought was trying to make me give up, you know, sugar. It's insanity. And I had to eat every bite I ate before I was willing to come here. And I remember, like, my first three meetings of OA, I came in, sat in a chair, had a panic attack because I was in withdrawal and terrified of feeling all of the emotions that I had pushed down for 45 years with food. And if you're new and they're coming up, welcome to early abstinence because that was my experience. Like, I I mean, tears for what I thought was no reason. I had plenty of reasons to shed some tears. Anger, like, and just, like, impulse problems like saying things out loud that I might have kept to myself if I weren't in early abstinence and it was like that it felt like the floodgate opened up and all those emotions started bubbling to the surface but I mean that that's the scary part feeling all my emotions of abstinence and it's also the awesome part because I didn't understand that that wall I had built up with food and numbed out like to keep the pain out, also kept out the love and the joy and the real connection and the wild abandon that I really want to live my life in today. Like I'm, I'm one bend of the elbow away of popping something in my mouth, setting off the craving and the obsession and, and chasing that like I'm on a hamster wheel again all day, every day. What am I going to eat? Who saw me eat it? How can I get more? Am I going to gain weight if I eat it? How can I get rid of it? Can I burn it off? Like that insane tape on loop in my head was exhausting and I did that for 45 years I only I've only had one abstinence date because I've been working the steps in another program for 10 years and so I knew the 12 steps would work if I surrendered to the program of Overeaters Anonymous and people even ask me like do you eat sugar-free whatever or like I don't want non-dairy tofu based frozen dessert product that's not what I I want the real thing and I want lots of good stuff would it trigger me I don't know like maybe not maybe I could get away with that one get away with as soon as I'm looking at what I can get away with I know I'm in trouble and um, so I don't eat lookalikes because I'm not sure and it's not worth risking setting off that craving and the obsession to find out. And and there are even foods that sometimes I can have in the house and eat like a lady. And other times it's like, oh, maybe I'll have some nut butter on. All right, Trixie, it's going in the dumpster. You know, like I, if if anything starts calling to me, I have to let it go. Even if it's not on my abstinence permanently, just because... If it's not an option, then it's not a problem. But, you know, I came, I came to Overeaters Anonymous 
to treat it like a diet. Like I wanted to finally take that 85 pounds off and keep it off. And so I was willing to try everything else I've ever tried worked. I'd get down to goal weight and then go celebrate with a binge, you know, and, and start packing all the weight back on. And um, so figuring out my first sponsor, I would say, what do I eat? What do I eat? How many... How many times a day do I eat? How, how often do I work out? How long do I work out? And she said, do the spiritual program of action and the food and, and the weight will take care of themselves. And I was like, that's ridiculous. I've got to have the plan. I've got to figure this out. But me figuring it out was like diet obsession and body dysmorphia and total insanity. Like th- there was no figuring it out. So in early abstinence... I started working the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous around my foods and food behaviors. And I love the OA 12 and 12 and the OA 12 and 12 workbook because I, I hadn't seen my food behaviors in black and white ever before. You know, um, step two, when it talks about powerless over food, when it talked about digging things out of the trash or eating things that were spoiled, I thought no one else had ever done that. And I look back at at thinking, you know, well, I put the package of treats in the trash, but I dug them out of the trash, but they were still in a plastic wrapper. I blew the cigarette (laughs) ashes off of them on the coffee ground. Like, normal people don't dig food out of the trash, and I thought I was the only one, and I indeed found out that I'm not. But I, I skipped step one. Doing that thorough inventory about the insanity around food and food behaviors and body image in step one was mind-blowing. Like, I wrote all that down, and I was like, oh, girl. Like, I started to have some love and compassion for myself. Because even though I was in recovery for other substances, I thought, food, I I should be able to figure this out. I just need the right diet plan. I just need the right workout. I just got to have the willpower. And I already know that willpower doesn't work with addiction. And I don't know why I just didn't want to call this addiction. I am a stone-cold sugar addict without a doubt and I got here and I started working the steps and I got to a layer a layer of self-discovery I hadn't gotten to in 10 years in the other program because I wasn't high on food I got as far as I could still high on food but you know taking a look at the underlying causes and conditions of why I ate starting with the childhood emotional abuse and and um and just the way I acted and reacted in the world. Um, You know, it's not for the faint of heart to really take a look at that stuff. And I'm so grateful for sponsorship to hold my hand and walk me through that inventory and, you know, helping me take a look at my defects of character that, that continue to trip me up in the same way over and over again so I can find my way to, to more freedom. Um, Every sponsor I've had in Overeaters Anonymous was exactly who I needed at the time. The first one was the first woman who picked up the phone, Sandy. I loved Sandy. Um, And she's the first one that I did my first inventory with that said, Oh, look, sweetheart, you're a people pleaser with low self-esteem. 
I had no idea. Could have knocked me down with a feather. Like, I had no idea. I just wanted everyone to like me. <laughs> and I didn't understand that that was people-pleasing. Um, my next sponsor, for some reason, I thought it was important that she was in both programs, too. So, you know, so I, you know, I worked, worked the steps with her. And then my next sponsor, um, actually, that's how I met Rashad at the birthday party, was of maximum service in this program like nobody's business. And I wanted to learn how to be of service out, you know, into service out of self. And the last time I saw Rashad in, in person, we were boogieing on the dance floor two years ago at the birthday party. Man, it's, I, there are so many things I took for granted about being able to just connect with you every day for all of those years of abstinence that are even more precious to me now, like standing here tonight connected to you it is so precious. And, um, you know, as a matter of fact, that sponsor also had me really work on six and seven in Drop the Rock. And that book is not for sissies. It's like, okay, you're abstinent. What kind of lying, cheating, chain-smoking whore are you still acting like? <laughs> like I, re I read the, pre the, the preface, and I was like, oh, Lord. And if I'm out of the food, I can do the other work, you know? Like, I'm learning how to date in my 50s. Like, I'm finally, and therapy's part of that, too. Like, I'm finally learning how to be vulnerable and have a real connection, a romantic connection with another human being. I'm taking a look at romance and finance, my two final frontiers. And I'm, I'm doing both of those things most days with dignity and grace. Um, but I have to keep doing the things I did. When I got here, I was so desperate. I would do anything that you told me. And if I get comfortable and think that my life is good because of my own merit in any way, I'm headed towards trouble. And um, I have to continue to do the things that I did to get abstinent, to stay abstinent. And I have a sponsor that I do step work with and report to. I sponsor other women and give this away. Um, prayer and meditation change my life in a powerful way every day that I'm willing to do it. And I'm such an addict. Like, some days I'm like, I don't feel like it, or I got busy. Well, then see how the rest of your day goes, Trixie. You know what I mean? And, like, there's still that petulant child in me sometimes. It's like the gym thing. Like, oh, I know I'll feel good if I work out. Out of hell with it, I don't want to do that today. Like, I can be that way in my program, too. But I Anytime I see ego slip back in, I know I'm in trouble. Or anytime I think I'm in control of my food in any, any way, I'm in trouble. And um, this year, I was, I was the San Fernando Valley Board um, Special Events and Fundraising Chair. And I couldn't say no because my sponsor now is the board chair. <laughs> I was like, damn, she got me. And... Um, it was a lot of work, and sometimes it was a struggle, you know, it, there was a lot to get done, and I had a busy job. It was the most amazing experience of my life to be of service on that level, and we had some really fun events, and that's really the first time that I, that I got to see people in person again. Um, you know, my food plan today is 
three meals and two optional snacks, and most days I eat my snacks. I, I do better with smaller meals and, and snacks in between. But the truth is, is has, have there been days that I had the snack because the guy didn't call or the job was stressful, not because I was hungry in between meals? Yeah, but I, 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 didn't, I didn't get 85 pounds overweight eating an extra apple. You know what I'm saying? And I, I watch myself. I, I've heard people share from the podium, like, I was struck abstinent with food, and I've never had an extra compulsive bite in 20 years. And that is awesome, and that has not been my experience. Like, there have been times that I've had a meal that it, that's too big. There's been times I had the snack when I wasn't hungry. But I've never broken my bottom line abstinence of no sweets and no chips and crackers and no binging, no matter what, for 11 years. And, and a lot has happened in the last 11 years. I mean, life was in session even before, you know, global pandemic and lockdown and, and all of that. And um, in, in abstinence, in Overeaters Anonymous, um, a few years ago, my mom was diagnosed with ALS. They misdiagnosed her at first. And um, I was like, well, thank God it's not that. That would be the worst thing ever. Well, guess what? It was that, and it was the worst thing ever. But abstinent, I could fly back there and take care of her and be fully present to love her. Thank you. Love her and be of service to her in a way that I didn't know how before I got here. And I remember toward the end, my family was standing around and, around her bed and holding hands, and I said a prayer. And my dad said, wow, you should have been a preacher. Where'd you learn to pray like that? This is where I learned to pray like that. This is where I learned to surrender and connect to higher power and have that experience. Um, I've been a performer my whole life, and I was going to get back on stage when I was thin enough and, you know, when I was enough. I was going to allow myself. And... Um, now in abstinence, I, I have gotten back out to performing, and it's not all about me. It's about being of service to other people and bringing some joy and some levity, especially in our world today, and, um, and that's pretty miraculous. Everything good in my life is a direct result of working the steps and, and principles of Overeaters Anonymous, and I'm, I'm one slice of whatever away from blowing that off. I still have normal friends that are like, well, just have one. Like, I don't want one. I want 16. I never wanted one. And my life is too good today to, um, to give it up for the Girl Scouts. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> anyway, um, I think we have about eight minutes left. I'm Kim. I'm a compulsive overeater, and that's my story, and I'm happy to answer any questions you might have. Thanks for letting me share. Yes? How long did it take you to get the figure out what your bottom line abstinence was? The question is, how long did it take me to figure out what my bottom line abstinence was? And it, it, I knew what my bottom line abstinence was the day I walked in. Foods that flipped the switch that once I start eating them, I can't stop eating them. 
the obsession and craving is triggered and I can't literally cannot stop and I've I've sponsored a lot of women and a, something I see is you know those of us that are in the other program sugar is the thing like it trips up our brain the same way um, so that was definitely where I had to start I hope that helped yeah, thank you. yeah. yes so the question is, how did I find balance after exercise bulimia, find balance with exercise and balance with other things in life? And I think that's the daily, that's the daily goal is balance. And with exercise, I mean, I was still obsessed when I was new in OA. Like, I've got to get the right workout. I've got to do it the right amount of time. And, and um, part of my disease is all or nothing. I'm either going to work out two hours every day or to hell that I'm not going to do it at all. And just starting one day, like walking out the front door and taking a walk around the block or whatever that looks like, like the next right action, the way we're taught in this program. And there are times that I can still like want to work out more or want to lose weight, but I talk to my sponsor about it and I put myself in check and I can look in the mirror and say, I love you and I'm going to take good care of you today and, and let that go just for today, just for today. Anyone else? Yes. Hi, thanks so much, Kim. So how do you sponsor? What literature do you like to use? Like how many sponsees do you have? How frequently do you talk to them? All that sort of thing. Thank you. So the question is, um, how do I sponsor women in this program? So right now I have two sponsees. The way that I sponsor women in Overeaters Anonymous, I always start with the OA 12 and 12 and the OA 12 and 12 workbook because it's so food specific and in modern vernacular that really resonates with me. And um, I always start there. And then the workbook literally has page numbers on it. So if I don't understand the question about step two, it says page you know 22 right there. And I go back and I can reread that paragraph and then go back and answer the question. And the first time I did the work in the OA 12 and 12 workbook, I was like, well, this is so repetitive and this is so redundant. So were my alcoholic behaviors with food, repetitive and redundant. So I needed to write the same thing different ways, let it sink into my brain. And then after we've gone through the 12 steps that way, then I'll go back and take them through the, the AA big book and, and do, you know, a four-column inventory and, and do it that way, but I always start with our OA literature. Oh, and as far as how often I talk to them, it, it varies. People with kids I seem to hear from less, but um, I will make time if someone needs my time, definitely. Thanks. Mm -hmm. Yes? Hi, um, do you have a higher power or God that you visualize, or can you um, just describe how you so the question is, um, how did I find my higher power, my version of higher power in Overeaters Anonymous? 
Um, I grew up in a, like, Pentecostal, evangelical, fire and brimstone kind of church, and so I was afraid of God when I was younger, and, you know, the whole punishment thing and sinner, like, really messed with my head, and I had, I had worked through that, you know, in the other program to a point, um, the group was my higher power at first, you know, group of drunks, group of what, you know, us, like, People that are doing something miraculous that I cannot do are are, are my higher power at first. Um, my higher power, my conception of my higher power, ebbs and flows a little bit. There there are days that I struggle with faith, and and God can handle it. God'll be okay, you know, with me questioning things. But to me, my higher power today is that energy that connects us all that heart space, it's love, joy, music, children, animals, laughter, like everything good in the world is my higher power today. And the greatest thing is, is food is not my higher power today. And um, some days that's enough. Some days that's enough. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yes. Thank you so much, Kim. It was really good to hear you. You mentioned that you were fully surrendered when you entered this program, mm. but you said sometimes food calls to you like a nut butter and you give it up. Do you find that you hit bottom in abstinence or had to re-surrender? I think my... Oh, the question is, have I hit bottom in abstinence and had to re-surrender? And I think my biggest surrender in Overeaters Anonymous when I was obsessed with the food again, a daily craving is, you know, if a craving pops up, it, there's something underlying it. Like what emotion, what fear, what situation am I not wanting to deal with that I want to eat, whatever the substance is. But um, my biggest surrender, again, in this program was eating super clean and getting thinner than I meant to get. And then that was my new goal weight. And you know, people were like, oh, you're so thin. Like, I dreamed of that my whole life. And then people started asking me if I was sick. And I was like, bitches are jealous, aren't they? Like, I mean, just the insane. The self-obsession of making thin my higher power was the closest I ever came to going out. And I went to the doctor, and he was like, don't lose any more weight. Your face looks all sucked up, and you're at the bottom of your BMI. And I was like... Oh, nobody's jealous. I am, you like, I'm sick. <laughs> like, I do look sick. And I liked it. I liked being thin. But um, I'm much more sane, being healthy, and the word you balanced. Balanced. And I'm at the age now you have to choose your ass or your face. That's the truth. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for letting me share.